Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Director of Performance at P3 Performance in Santa Barbara, Luke Story. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I have the absolute pleasure to welcome Luke Story to the podcast. So, welcome to the podcast, Luke. Thanks for having me, Rob. It's a pleasure. So, anyone that doesn't know who you are, do you just want to give us a little bit of an intro uh, on yourself and your background and, and what you're currently doing? Uh, yeah, no problem. Um, so, uh, back in 2004, I did uh, my degree in uh, sport and exercise science at University of Chichester. Then I did my uh, master's uh, straight away afterwards in exercise physiology um, at the same university. Um, and kind of throughout university, uh, I sort of had the aim, uh, the, the sort of the goal to really go into strength and conditioning. And I kind of always had a passion for that and I knew I always wanted to go into that. Um, it was really a sort of a, a second year uh, career day. Actually, it was a first year career day in my bachelor's. Um, I had uh, Paul Bryce from the EIS uh, come in and actually give a career day and he sort of explained different roles in the EIS and he was talking about biomechanics and he's talking about sort of strength and initiating and as soon as he was talking about strength and initiating it was kind of straight away that's that's exactly what I want to do um, so really from my first year of university that's kind of my goals going forward was exactly that's what I wanted to do um, coming out of university uh, my first role I suppose full-time role was a full-time internship with Bath Rugby Club uh, that was back in 2008 um, so at the time, um, the club was pretty forward thinking, which you know, I think, um, especially in 2008. And I had the pleasure of sort of, um, I was working alongside um, Paddy, uh, Paddy Hogburn and Chris Gavilio. Um, Paddy Hogburn, who was the head of Academy Strength and Conditioning, who marvellous, marvellous strength and conditioning coach, um, interpersonally sort of second to none um, and sort of theoretically very good as well. But sort of uh, some of the stuff that Bath was doing back then was really good stuff. So Chris uh, was doing some joint ventures with Christian Cook Researcher, doing some stuff with sort of hormone response. And I got to sort of have a little look into that. Obviously, being an intern, I didn't really sort of run anything there. Um, but some doing some stuff with occlusion training as well, so sort of being exposed to that. And Paul Bunce brought in uh, Liam uh, Kilduff a little bit as well, doing some uh, sort of strength diagnostics testing, some force plates and sort of isometric mid pull stuff. So I got to sort of be exposed to that sort of stuff early in my career, which was good. Um, so after my uh, internship there, I went, I sort of decided that I wanted to do a little bit of uh, experience in multi-sport, um, but also I kind of at a relatively young age, so I wanted to do a little bit of traveling. So I sort of looked at internships over across the pond in, in America, and I applied for a few different internships. I managed to find a uh, a facility called Peak Performance Project in Santa Barbara in California. Um, and it was kind of uh, two different reasons that I chose this place was, one, it was uh, it looked like a great learning opportunity. They worked with lots of different sports, lots of different athletes. And, um, it was run by uh, Dr. Marcus Elliott, um, who's currently my boss now, a uh, very smart individual, sort of wanted to go and learn from him. 
but also it was in Santa Barbara, California, which, you know, being a 22, 23 year old uh, guy at the time was, you know, a great experience to go over and enjoy an amazing beach town in California for three months. So I did that for three months, came back to England. Um, I then did a little short term stint at the EIS in Bath, where I sort of did some cover work for uh, Chris McLeod. Um, he couldn't work for a couple of months. He had a problem with his eyes, so he couldn't coach for a couple of months. Um, and really that two months at the EIS was a big eye opener for me. Um, beforehand, I'd kind of been in intern positions beforehand, and it was kind of acceptable to be medium or mediocre. And I got into that environment and I was sort of, I had uh, Danny Holcroft, Liz Sinton and uh, Chris McLeod, who are exceptional practitioners. Um, and I quickly realized that I needed to up my game if I wanted a career in uh, strength and conditioning. So it was a good eye-opener for me. It was a good experience to do a couple of months and work with different athletes there, just some sort of coaching, hands-on stuff, a little bit of programming here and there. Then after that, uh, my first sort of long-term role, sort of running a program was I went and worked for Derbyshire County Cricket Club uh, for three and a half years. Um, sort of had ups and downs with them in terms of performance with the team. And we sort of finished in a really good position, which was great. Uh, then, so I did three and a half years with them, which was great fun. Um, and then I actually ended up coming back to uh, P3, uh, P Performance Project in Santa Barbara, which the position I actually am in now, I work now. Um, and I've been here for coming up to four years, so just over three and a half years. Um, and about a year ago, just under a year ago, my position changed a little bit. Um, and I'm now uh, a director of performance at P3, um, where I lead a team of two full-time coaches, two part-time coaches, and uh, two interns, depending on the time of the year. Um, and then also at the facility, we have... Um, three uh, biomechanists uh, who are led by a guy called Eric Leidersdorf uh, who leads that team. And ultimately the uh, uh, facility is a private training facility um, where we cater for a lot of sort of assessment of athletes and training of athletes as well from all different different sports, uh, professional and amateur as well. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of me to date really. Yeah, that's cool, mate. That's cool. So obviously in the States you have these these private facilities. So so anyone listening who's over there, that's kind of um a given, but it's it's so different to what's over here. So and obviously it sounds so different because you've got three biomechanists on site. So do you just want to explain to us firstly um about the kind of private sector um that's over there in the States, just to kind of give us UKers um a little bit of an insight. And then secondly, where these biomechanists fit in, because that's obviously a uh, a big thing for you guys and that's obviously a um uh, kind of distinguishes you from from other private facilities i'm guessing um yeah so i, I try and keep this relatively brief um so because it's a little bit more directed to the uh, uk viewer so so really um private facility private facilities in in the uk don't really exist as much in terms of strength and conditioning um they're starting to crop up here and there because there's just not really as much of a demand um especially with the professional athlete. And it kind of comes back to, in England or the UK in general, our biggest sports being sort of biggest team sports, probably being rugby union um, and Premier League football. Um, 
those seasons go for nine months, maybe a little bit longer. And then, you know, you have international duty potentially. So you don't really have a long off season to then go off and train somewhere else. You, you sort of have the report back for off, uh, for pre-season back to your club. Whereas in America, the sort of the big three, maybe big four sports being sort of baseball, basketball, American football and, and hockey, all of those are sort of six-month sports, yes, you can go a little longer, especially if you go if you have a good sort of playoff run. Um, but there typically is a long off-season where you can do a lot of work, a lot of sort of off-season training um, before you then have to then go off to your um, to your team for a pre-season camp or whatever it may be. And America being so huge, you don't typically have the professional athletes living in the same city that they're playing the team for. Um, so they'll go off and train in different training, private training facilities sometimes. Sometimes they go to their old colleges and train as well. Um, so it gives us a little bit of a um, able to sort of have a business there um, where we can train basketball players in the off-season or baseball players in the off-season or uh, football players in the off-season, whatever it may be. Um, so it's kind of a, a good window of opportunity for us to really get some good work in in that sort of off-season to get some good training in. Um, in terms of... Uh, your question with sort of Biomex is um, our kind of our team of Biomex has sort of grown over the last uh, you know two three four years because um, we're sort of placing more and more emphasis on our assessment and and how we assess athletes and really how we look at athletes move and um, and how we sort of uh, look into sort of general sort of strength diagnostics or mechanics of movement things like that. Um, and it's kind of kind of interesting. You know, we've gone a little bit of a different route to you know your traditional biomech in England. So a traditional biomech in England might be you know you do a degree in sports science, then you do a master's in biomechanics, and then you know potentially a PhD in biomechanics, or you go straight into applied world, whatever it may be. Whereas you know our guys, are, for example, our, our sort of our director of biomechanics, or um, Eric is has a degree in uh, mechanical engineering from Stanford University, so he's an absolute whiz. Um, but comes from a little bit of a different background and didn't didn't come from a sports science background originally. And so he gets to see things a little bit different to us, which I think is a good thing, um, keeps things a little bit open. Um, and another one of our biomechs actually comes from a um, sort of mechanical engineering background. We have another sort of assistant biomech that does a sort of dual role and a coaching role and uh, biomechanics side as well. Um, and he's more from a sort of a kinesiology sort of uh, background similar to what we would do back in England. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So how does, um, obviously you, you mentioned differences obviously between the, the UK and the US and, and the guys in the US maybe do have a little bit more time um, with, with regards to the kind of movement assessment type of thing, but everyone's pushed for time. So how, what's your, um, what's your movement assessment look like given the, uh, given the kind of time restraints that you're under? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, ultimately, it, it sometimes depends on the athlete that you're working with and, and really how much how much time that you they're willing to give. Um, but sort of comes comes back down to what's great about the the place that I work in in terms of the private sector. Um, there's there's certainly some negative sides to it. Um, the positive sides to it is ultimately 99% of the athletes that come through our doors are really there because they want to be there. 
And if they don't want to be there, then they can just leave. And it's really up to them. You know, there's, there's sometimes a very small population, a very small chance where they're sent there by a team or an agent maybe, and they, they maybe don't want to be there. But that's a very, very small uh, minority. And 99% of the guys just want to be there, which is great, because ultimately if they didn't, they can just leave. Where it's a little bit different when you're in a team environment, because there's always going to be two, three, four guys, depending on what sport you work in, that you know don't want to be doing the stuff that you're sort of describing. That's obviously part of the goal is you know trying to get buy-in. That's part of the game. But what's great about us is is we get to have guys that really want to be there. Um, so it, let, it allows us to have sort of a you know a longer uh, assessment protocol. O- ultimately, when athletes come in through the door the first day, we put them through the paces and we we sort of get a full assessment on them. And you know depending on injury status, things like that. But our assessment usually takes about, typically about hour 45 up to two hours, um, depending on how much the athlete really wants to talk to us, basically. Um, but it's, uh, it's you know, up to a two-hour protocol. And during that time, you know, we have, you know, sort of a, a full warm-up, a, sort of a mobility screen. We go through an injury history. Um, and then we go through a little bit more sort of in-depth, um, assessment of sort of movement mechanics uh, where we use our sort of uh, dual force plate system and our sort of 3D motion capture as well um, where we do a bunch of different te- uh, sort of ballistic movements sort of in different planes and etc and then we do sort of some different um, sort of change of direction and agility based movements depending on the athletes we're working with etc etc um, but really in terms of trying to sort of save time here and there is um, there's obviously certain things you've got to take out. You know, you don't want to annoy the athlete too much and be there for too long. Um, it comes down to so like little things like, um, you know, in an ideal world, I'd love to have an isometric mid-thigh pull with every athlete that comes through the door, but um, that's not always uh, hugely practical. If it's an athlete you've never you never met before, you have no idea of their sort of strength background and their training background, training history. Um, they could come through the door and really they've never done any sort of aggressive strength training before. You can't really expect them to go in and uh, try and sort of isometrically pull the bar as hard as and aggressively as they possibly can. So, And that usually takes a little bit more time as well, just doing sort of isometric mid pull. So little things like, you know, we'll transfer that with sort of a weighted jump instead. It tends to be a little bit safer as well, we find, in a, in a trap bar environment as well, where we can do a weighted jump. And we find we can get good results where there's a good relationship um, between sort of weighted jump performance. We look at different metrics through the force plate and through a linear positions transducer. And we also recently, um, one of the biomechs, uh, Gillian at work, has uh, looked at sort of um, uh, looking at the velocity of um, – the tendo unit of the uh, sort of a trap bar jump, weighted trap bar jump compared to really the gold standard of um, average and peak velocity, which is gold standard would be a 3D motion capture system. So dotting our athlete up and looking at sort of the velocity of the body and how, how quickly that moves. And there's, there's some differences there. Um, but we, we finally get some good results from a weighted jump and it tends to be a safer movement with guys we, we know haven't done any sort of good strength training background. Um, and it tends to be a little quicker to administer as well. So last in the last, uh, I think it's, we've been using this movement for about eight, nine months and we've got about 200 athletes, maybe a little less. Um, and we haven't had one. We, we, we typically use it with the same weights. We do 40 or 60 kilos. Um, we've never had one sort of issue of... Um, 
pain or sort of little injury here or there. Um, and I, I know for a fact in terms of using an isometric midfly pull with, with different populations, I've had a few guys here and there have a little sore back here and there the next day, whatever it may be. Um, and that's tricky, especially if someone's just signed a $120 million four-year contract. They come in the next day with a sore back. That's, that's something you don't want. Uh, that's, that's for sure. Um, so, you know, we try and stay away from those things uh, a little bit. Um, but then there's, you know, there's little things like, um, uh, especially if we're, if we're assessing athletes for the first time, um, we've got to be careful of sort of um, some tests really we find that are only a little bit more valid, a little bit more reliable, sorry, um, once they've trained doing the test. So, for example, um, if I wanted to look at sort of lower body stiffness and I wanted to look at sort of RSI from, let's say, a 12-inch drop jump or a 24-inch drop jump, um, I want to look at RSI from that. We find with, um, depending on the athlete, if they haven't trained to do this a lot, um, those numbers are going to be highly variable throughout a week. So we've had we, we, we've experimented this a lot with guys that have never really done this before. And they come in for the first time, they get a RSI drop jump, um, and they throw up a sort of 2.6, let's say, RSI. And then we test them throughout the week, and even fatigue's cut hitting in through the week of training, and the guy's hitting a 2.9 or a 3.1. That's a, that's a huge amount of variation throughout the week, just because they're not used to that movement um, of trying to get off the ground as quickly as possible. Um, so in terms of really, so something like that would be a great movement to use with, with our athletes and look at sort of stiffness from day one, but it's, it's, it's just not possible because a lot of guys that come in just aren't trained to do that movement and it's going to be too variable, the numbers that you receive. Um, however, guys that we, that we train for long periods of time, um, we use that particular drop jump. Um, looking at sort of neuromuscular fatigue, some of the great work that sort of Dave Hamilton has done. We, 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 we use that a lot um, in terms, especially with athletes that we train throughout the year, because really we need, you need a bit of a baseline to see what they're at normally. Um, in terms of drop jump, really, we, we get a lot of our information just from a different type of drop jump, which is a simple, and just the way you cue the drop jump, it changes the uh, sort of the mechanics of the drop jump and sort of um, really the outcome of the drop jump dramatically. So um, typically we'll, we'll get our athletes to step off an 18-inch box and we'll tell the athletes just simply the, the cueing would be to jump as high as possible we're not cueing them to get off the ground as quickly as they can it's just a simple jump as high as you possibly can um, and we feel that we can get a lot of information from that yes um, we're not typically looking at ground contact time because it's so variable between athletes because we're not cueing them to get off the ground quickly but we are getting performance numbers from it. So we can look at sort of kinem uh, kinetic performance numbers in terms of what forces they're putting into the ground, but we can also look at just simple performance numbers in terms of displacement in jump height. Um, but then we're really looking into deeply um, the mechanics of the movement, so the kinematics of the movement as well. So what's going on at hips, knees, ankles, trunk. Um, so really to try and sort of go back to your question a little bit, I've been blabbering on for a long time here, but um, in terms of, you know where time is of the essence is we, we try to get as much information and data from from single tests as possible so we try to get use a test to get performance numbers to performance metrics from that test so how well they perform a test in terms of sort of um it could be how fast you run or how high you jump or how much force you're putting into the ground whether it be in the frontal plane or whether it be in the sagittal plane whatever it may be so we get the performance numbers but then we also really look into in-depth sort of kinematics and sort of mechanics of the movement as well 
and how they're doing that movement as well. So we try and get as much data from a particular test as possible. So to make sure that we're just testing them for that hour, 45, two hours, and then we're really digging in for hours and hours and hours and hours of time afterwards, looking at the numbers afterwards. Mm -hmm. Wow, you went on for a long time there. Apologies. No, no, it's all right. It's fine. I actually spoke to Jason Lake the other day. Oh, um, he's the man. He is the man. He's definitely the man. He was giving me an insight into... uh, into his well he was getting a bit excited i think he was drooling a little bit talking about his fourth flight stuff and his jumping stuff so um that was interesting conversation but jason jason was one of my lecturers at university yeah he told me he told me probably annoyed him a lot i'm I'm sure i annoyed him a lot when i was i I had a lot of sort of adhd and tourette's (laughs) i'm I'm surprised i haven't cursed already um he he, he actually said both of them things i really (laughs) Oh goodness! Um, yeah. Okay. But yeah, he's. Uh, if you get him on, there'll be many, many gems learned by many people. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. We're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Luke. Hope you enjoyed part one. Uh, more good stuff from Luke coming from part two. So just want to say a massive thanks to a year's sponsorship with Val Performance. So another little bit of exciting news coming from the guys at Val Performance in that they have launched a solution for measuring hip and groin strength. And that's called the Groin Bar to go alongside the Nord Board. So make sure you follow Groin Bar on Twitter. And if you're interested in this solution coming from Val Performance, you can go to groinbar.com. So really exciting addition to the um, to the repertoire from the guys at Vald. So be sure to check them out. Um, great guys down there, and I really appreciate all their support in 2016 uh, of the podcast and everything else that I've got going on. So hope you enjoy part two with Luke, and I will speak to you soon. Just going back to your assessment protocols. How does that? How do all what you just mentioned? How does it differ? between different sports and athletes? I mean, I know you touched on that. It's obviously dependent on a lot of factors, but um, how does it differ between the athletes and the people that you work with? Um, not really too rocket science here, I think. Uh, Rob, I think realistically, so all the athletes that come through the doors, we try to get just some simple um, sort of sort of force diagnostics or sort of strength diagnostics on, and, and that would be sort of unweighted jumps, um, weighted jumps and sort of drop jumps. So it might be a cannonball jump, weighted jump, um, squat jump and drop jump. So we can get some simple EUR stuff. We can look at just some simple sort of performance numbers and we can look at sort of some sort of strength over sort of um, velocity in terms of um, with a weighted uh, jump as well. Um, and that's, we, we get that with sort of with everyone that comes through the doors, but, and then we sort of, um, branch off a little bit into sort of um, movement or sort of uh, task specific, uh, sort of task uh, specificity um, in terms of the athlete or the sport we're working in. Um, So it could be, for example, let's say baseball working with a pitcher. We'll go down to like the as as specific as it gets and we'll get them to pitch um, a ball uh, off our force plates under 3D motion capture. Um, and I'm sure I'll just natter on a little bit more about this at some point in the discussion, but um, we'll, we'll look at sort of front foot, rear foot, um, sort of forces into the ground. We'll look at sort of um, 
um, mechanics of movement as well. Um, but then we can look at some, I don't know, something like a, uh, a point guard in basketball and we can go into sort of uh, a little bit more of a sort of open agility task um, and doing some sort of a slightly different test there for that. Um, at the moment, we're still sort of brushing up on that. We're changing that up a little bit at P3. We're actually opening up a new facility next year and we've got a little bit more space to play around with a different task there. At the moment, our open agility task is a little bit restricted because of the space we have where our force plates and motion capture are. So a little restricted on sort of um, uh, sort of logistics there, but with our new facility, it will, it will be a little easier, hopefully, which will be nice. Um, yeah, so nothing nothing too too crazy on that one. So the next um, next point is kind of a natural progression from that, and how does all that uh, assessment directly linked to something that's actionable? Ha, um, where the rubber meets the road. Um, so uh, with this, I suppose I'll, I'll give you a couple of different case studies, hopefully. Um, we can, we can talk I like a case today. study. Love a case study. Um, and please, you know, I'll probably go off a little bit of a tangent here, so please interrupt me at some point because I, I will literally forget what you've asked me as a question. Okay. <laughs> Please, please interrupt me at any point. Um, so I'll try and give a sort of a baseball and a basketball specific sort of uh, case study. So um, in terms of uh, basketball, let's say, um, well, it could be sort of, you know, any sort of change of direction, sort of multi sort of, you know, sort of agility, open agility based sport. Um, so kind of at P3, we're kind of, um, that's, that's kind of a, so a little bit of a believer in um, sort of plane-specific force production. Um, and it's, it's been sort of, uh, it's been a fair bit in sort of a few different sort of uh, researchers have put some stuff out there at some point in the last few years here and there. So JB Moran's done some, some really good stuff with sprinting and looking at sort of horizontal forces compared to vertical forces, sort of comparing sort of acceleration phase versus sort of max velocity phase in sort of really high-level sprinters. Um, it's done some sort of wonderful uh, sort of work there, um, and then you've also have sort of um, uh, Brett Contreras has done some, just put out a study uh, sort of looking at sort of um, hip dominant movements, so hip hip thrust uh, compared to sort of knee dominant, sort of quad dominant movements, sort of like uh, front squats, and sort of how that affects sort of movements in the vertical plane compared to sort of horizontal, sort of in terms of sort of sagittal versus uh, sort of to in terms of vertical versus horizontal. Um, and we found sort of, you know, it was about four years ago now, and we sort of, it's, it's, it's stuck with us. Is um, It's the same, it's, it's similar with some of our basketball players. So, so we have, um, so some of the tests we go through with our basketball players is our normal sort of drop jump, uh, cannon jump, squat jump, weighted jump, etc. cetera. Um, but then we also look at a something called a one-off skater um, where the athlete will stand on the force plate, both feet on the force plate, and then sort of drive off laterally to the side um, as far as they possibly can. So sort of pushing off in that sort of frontal plane, um, going laterally. Um, and they're sort of cued to drive off as, as lateral as they possibly can and drive off as aggressive as they possibly can. Uh, we call it a one-off skater. And... Ultimately, we're looking at, because our, our plates are sort of, uh, we get force in the three dimensions, um, sort of X, Y, and Z, we're looking at uh, sort of force, um, sort of that lateral force, um, 
as our sort of our, our key sort of um, performance metric. Um, and with this, we also have this under the sort of 3D motion capture. And we find that athletes that do this really well, so athletes that put up really high forces um, laterally, also not surprisingly, are very good uh, lateral sort of change direction movers as well. So um, we sort of do a, a simple five yard slide uh, sort of change of direction ta task where they slide out five yards, slide back five yards as quick as they can, or sort of side shuffle, um, whatever you want to call it, as quick as you can. So lateral movement in basketball is you know, really big and really important. Um, and in the one-off skater, when we do in a 3D motion capture environment, we also see, so guys that put up big numbers, lateral force, um, ultimately the hip drives the movement. So, um, so there's a, there's a, there's a significant correlation, a strong correlation between hip extension velocity and hip extension acceleration, um, and, uh, ultimately peak horizontal force, um, relative to the athlete's body weight. So it has to be relative force. Um, whereas it's kind of the opposite when we're doing vertical movements. If I'm doing a drop jump or a counter movement jump, um, performance being let's say um how high they jump so displacement is um significantly correlated with knee extension velocity and knee extension acceleration and not really through the hips so vertical performance is really driven by around around the knee um, and lateral performance is kind of a little bit more driven around the hip um, and yes there's there's many other actions sort of aspects to that as well but some simple we can get some simple um sort of performance numbers in terms of with the athlete we can look at just how good they are physically laterally and how good they are physically sort of vertically and then we can sort of start to get some simple sort of um prescription uh with the athlete from there so whether it be so if it's if they're poor laterally then we need to work on more uh hip dominance or posterior chain uh strength work whether that be rdl single leg rdls um hip thrusts or also sort of strength work in that um a frontal plane so it could be lateral sled drags or heavy barbell side lunges um but then vice versa if it's, if it's an athlete that's that's really poor uh vertically um then you know working on a little bit more sort of um uh, strength work, which is a little bit more quad knee dominant, sort of, so you know, front squats, you know, potentially back squats in there as well, and whatever it may be, sort of safety bar squats, depending on the athlete that we're working with, and that goes hand in hand with with the plyos that we're working with as well, the ballistic movements as well, the sort of plyometrics. Um, plyometrics can obviously be sort of laterally based in that sort of frontal plane or vertically based in that sagittal plane, and and we sort of prescribe them differently to what the athlete needs. Um, we're always going to sort of give the athlete a little bit of everything. It's kind of our philosophy a little bit and sort of my philosophy a little bit. And my philosophy is, is very much sort of ratios uh, of training. I'll never sort of leave something out, some sort of physical quality, physical training quality out of training. Um, it's always just a slight weighted of a ratio towards something else for that particular athlete. Um, and then we can also dig in a little bit deeper in terms of okay, well, why else are they poor laterally? So it could be yes, they haven't they've got a poor, poorly developed uh, posterior chain, but it could also be we've also found that sort of um, trunk instability in the uh, sagittal plane, so going too easily going into um, sort of thoracic and lumbar uh, flexion when we're moving laterally 
Um, those guys are really poor lateral movers and they're also poor at putting force into the ground laterally off a, a one-off skater. Um, so it could be more about sort of working on the trunk and working on sort of um, general sort of strength and stability around the trunk as well. Um, that makes sense, Rob? Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. That was keep a, going, keep that was going. Good, absolutely. I like that a lot. Um, so actually, there's been, you know, there's, there's been other sort of research with that as well in terms of sort of that sort of plane-specific sort of force production of or force sort of development in terms of – it was a great study back in um, either 2011 or 2012. It was when I was working in sort of in cricket was um, – they looked at um, – uh, out of America, I think it was, uh, they looked at basically lots of different field tests, um, looking at sort of relationship between these performance tests and throwing velocity in baseball players. Um, and they did sort of sprints. Uh, they did sort of canoe jumps. They did, I think they had a strength movement as well in the sort of vertical plane. Um, but ultimately, they did actually a, a variation of the one-off skater. They didn't do a force plate. They just did a, a lateral bound, uh, driving laterally as far as you possibly could. So they did it for distance. Um, and that was the strongest predictor of throwing velocity. Um, and it makes sense. You know, when we throw or pitch, is we're, we're producing force. We start the initial phases. We're really producing force off that rear leg. And if we can produce force well off that rear leg, and there's many other uh, aspects to throwing as well and i'll talk about that in another case study in a second but like um if we can produce force laterally well off that rear leg um then ultimately and we're going to throw pretty hard um and that's going to have a strong much stronger correlation to um sort of vertical performance uh guys who perform really well vertically um i think i think ultimately still like I, you know my, my philosophy is still a if the athlete becomes more powerful and stronger and, you know, in whatever plane, they're still going to get a little bit better everywhere. There's, there's no doubt about that. Like, don't get me wrong. Like if someone, uh, you know, improves their front squat by 25%, their one RM sort of front squat relative to the body weight sort of by 25%, they're going to get better laterally as well. And sort of horizontally as well, along as long as sort of other sort of physical qualities are being trained alongside that as well. But, I think there's certainly room for sort of the way you program in terms of ratios, in terms of, okay, I'm going to get a little bit more sets in terms of this exercise and I'm going to prescribe this exercise a little bit more compared to the frequency of this exercise, a little bit more compared to that exercise. Um, so really, I suppose the other case study would be, would be sort of in terms of actionable data would be sort of looking at um, – Baseball pitchers would be a good one, so because I'm, I'm sort of working with a few baseball pitchers at the moment. It's baseball off season; and they're always really good, great fun to work with. Um, we're a bunch of them in at the moment. Um, so, uh, start this off season and a little bit of last off season as well. We started doing some good sort of looking into the mechanics of uh, pitching a little bit more. We've always we've always looked, sort of tested them, and we sort of dug in a little bit more. Um, so, one of my colleagues, one of the um, by Mex at Peter Reed, a guy called Ben Johnson, um, literally the polar opposite to the sprinter Ben Johnson, uh, but um, a very good uh, practitioner. He's been doing some really good work um, alongside, a little bit alongside me, but it's 100% sort of mostly him, uh, doing some good work and in looking into some of the um, sort of pitch mechanics uh, of our guys. And we have a good, uh, a pretty good cohort of guys that sort of throw really, really hard. Some guys throw hard and then some guys that throw 
not so hard. So we can see some, you know, just some simple relationships here and there uh, between different mechanics there. Um, and I was telling about earlier about sort of we chuck the guys on the force blades, um, we get the guys to throw a, um, uh, we get a sort of a one of those weighted balls that don't, it's the same weight as the ball, but it doesn't bounce back. So we get them to throw against the wall. Um, and we do it in a uh, sort of 3D motion capture environment so we can really look at sort of exactly what's going on at sort of ankles, knees, hips, trunk. Um, and we, we kind of tend to find that, and it, it's, it's quite similar to um, some of the stuff that I looked into when I was working in cricket. Um, and ECB did some really good work uh, looking at sort of what, what makes a fast bowler bowl really fast. And there's some, there's some definite similarities in terms of bowling and pitching. Um, so... There's, there's kind of different sort of uh, parts to pitching, but really we, we break it down to, in terms of the physical attributes, is the things that we can potentially change and we can potentially work on is things like um, stride length, uh, sort of lateral force from the rear leg, um, sort of uh, when we get them on the force plate. Um, we look at sort of, we call it front foot firm up, um, is sort of, Sort of bracing of the front leg when we land, um, trying to minimise the amount of knee flexion in that front leg. So if I'm pushing off the, the rear leg, I'm landing on the front leg, and I'm, I'm going into way too much knee flexion after landing upon landing. And we can see exactly how much knee flexion. So whether it be five degrees of knee flexion after landing or one degree of knee flexion after landing, we can see exactly through the motion capture. Um, ultimately, we want to minimise the amount of knee flexion after landing. So we're not really too concerned about how much knee flexion they're landing with. Um, it's more about that delta knee flexion upon landing to ball release. Um, so we want them to really firm up. So obviously, if we're going into too much knee flexion, it's more of a uh, more of a sort of a, a cushion. We're landing on a sort of a, a sponge almost, whereas we want to land hard, stiff, breaks, um, and then for them to, for, that, for that to have sort of a you know sort of a Newtonian law of um, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. If we're landing hard and not absorbing too much and landing firm and stiff in that front leg, there's going to be an uh, equal and opposite reaction, which is going to be an aggressive rotation of the hips and trunk, which is sort of the next thing we'll talk about. And then ultimately the arm whipping through aggressively, and then the ball sort of coming out of the hands at hopefully 98 miles an hour. Um, so we also look at sort of um, sort of kinetics in terms of um, that front leg as well, sort of uh, how much force is going through that front leg when we land. Um, so we don't really look at sort of um, uh, initial peak impact forces on that front leg. So um, it's kind of a, this is a whole new discussion another time. But so from a drop jump or so from front leg in in landing in in pitching is we'll get usually a, a peak impact spike. Um, and that's usually sort of um, a sort of passive phase. Um, that's, that's sort of not, it's not contractile. The, the, the fibers aren't really contracting at that point. That's, that's, that peak impact spike can be really high, but it's nothing really to do with the total, like positive forces that are going on in, um, in, the, in the motion of the, of the pitch. So we're really, really looking at the, uh, the peak spike after that. So peak concentric force, peak eccentric force, and then peak concentric force after that. Um, and we look at that in the Z plane and the X plane as well. So sort of, um, uh, vertical plane and sort of um, horizontal plane as well on that front leg. And ultimately, guys who firm up really well in that front leg, so don't go through a huge amount of front knee flexion, usually have higher front leg, uh, sort of front foot um, resultant forces as well. 
Um, so ultimately, we find guys who have you know longer stride length, um, guys who are putting more lateral force on the rear leg, guys who are having sort of minimal sort of knee front knee uh, flexion, um, and guys who are putting up a lot of force in the front leg as well. Those are the guys that who are you know throwing heavy, throwing fast. Uh, fast balls, you know, anything above 94, 95. Um, so we can really look at this and we can then break it down to, okay, well, what parts of this action are they, are they lacking? You know, what are they good? What are they not good at? Um, you know, we've had a great case study where, and this is, this is edging towards, um, so some of this is, is really simple. We could just look at, okay, so rear, rear leg, we're not putting up enough lateral force. And it's what I was talking about earlier in terms of plane specifics. So I could I could do more strength and plyo work in that sort of frontal plane, um, uh, or I could do much more sort of hip dominant strength work as well. That's, that's simple. You know, I'm not messing around with uh, baseball mechanics and uh, pitching mechanics being a strength coach. Um, but then there's, there's areas in terms of um, sort of stride length, for example, if an athlete isn't, it has a really short stride length. And ultimately, the longer stride length you have, you typically have more lateral horizontal, uh, uh, sort of lateral force from that rear leg. If you're putting up more lateral force from that rear leg, you're going to have a longer stride length a lot of the time. Not always, but a lot of the time. Um, and, and you know, we, we give this feedback to to our to our pitchers, but it's it's dependent on the pitcher itself that's coming in. So, you know, we've had one guy come in. We've we've got about four pitches at the moment um you know a couple of those guys we've, we've trained for years and years and years and we can be really open and talk about all this stuff with them and we can talk about okay well these are the things we need to work on you know what do you think about changing some of these up and we can talk about sort of maybe the potential of changing up mechanics here and there and i feel much more confident about doing this sort of stuff because i have a few years of working in throwing sports now as well with, with uh, sort of almost four years of baseball and almost four years of cricket beforehand whereas when i worked in cricket i wouldn't go near um, a bowler and saying, "Oh, maybe you should do this uh, with your action." I would, I would get laughed at, and then it would probably be, I would very, have a very short <laughs> my job as well. Um, I got laughed at plenty already, but um, um, they just needed to watch me throw and do fielding tasks and things like that. That was that was horrendous. I think I got hit in the head three or four different times with a cricket ball during my three and a half years of cricket. Um, but. Uh, it's it's quite a, it's quite an interesting sort of um, a good dilemma to have where you you know you start actually talking about sort of the mechanics of their actual you know their skill their, their sport that they're doing and I think sometimes as strength coaches we're a little bit afraid to sort of step over that boundary um, and this is kind of the first time this year is the first time I've sort of stepped into it a little bit more um, and you know things like stride length for this particular athlete is we're doing a lot of his rotational work. Um, where we're just doing simple targets where he's, he's striding out more, where he's doing his med ball rotational work or where he'd be doing sort of cable Kaiser rotational work, things like that, where he has a target to stride out. Um, or we could talk about sort of front foot firm up and there's lots of different like sort of drills we can sort of ultimately overload the system. Um, that could be just, um, you know, placing some sort of weight on the body and try, you know, giving some sort of video feedback and ensuring that they're not going into a huge amount of knee flexion. Or it could be a, something like um, doing true single leg exercises. So um, kind of a little little Franz Bosch-esque, um, you know, I do, so he, he typically does some sort of um, single leg 
sort of hand cleans onto a box, which is more looking at sort of um, uh, reflex work, sort of extending one leg and sort of flexing the other. Whereas I've done with a couple of my pitchers where they're just standing on one leg and not landing with the other foot on the box. They're just, they're just landing on one leg in sort of a more balanced position on the catch phase of a clean. And it's more about just that sort of firm working on that. Yes, they're getting extension through the hip and they're working on that side of things. But realistically, it's more about that catch, catching under weight, catching under force um, in a single leg, true single leg environment and trying to be stable in that environment as well. It's, it's quite a tricky thing to do. Um, and sort of a couple of guys have worked on, you know, are really enjoying that as well. And they feel like there's, they're getting some benefit from it. But Ultimately, you know, we can really get some good sort of um, objective data where we can really, we can actually retest the guys and we can go straight into, okay, right, you came in and you went through nine degrees of knee flexion. Um, now you're going through a delta of three degrees of knee flexion on the front side and you're actually putting up 30% more uh, relative horizontal uh, lateral force in the rear leg as well. And that was a guy that we tested two weeks ago. Um, just going through some simple mechanical changes with his, uh, with his sort of, action but also putting into his strength work as well um but on the flip side of that we've had i had a guy we've got a i've got a big leaguer he plays um a couple of big leaguers one one guy's pitcher is major league player he's been in the leagues for 10 years or so he's 31 years old and this is his first off season with us um he's been with us for six weeks now and uh five or five, i don't know six weeks uh, when we first tested him, when he first came in the first day, we went through all our sort of normal physical tests. We did sort of pitching with him, pitching mechanics. I didn't speak to him once about any of his results from the pitching mechanics whatsoever. You know, there was nothing was chatted about that whatsoever. It was very much, okay, let's let's gain a relationship of some sort. Let's gain trust and let's gain, let's do a little bit of training first before we even chat about this stuff. And realistically, you know, we retested him again a few days ago um, in just his pitching uh, mechanics and Yes, there will be a stage in the next few weeks where we'll talk about that stuff. It's still early in the off season, but you know we've we've sort of gained a little bit more. He's gained a bit of trust in me. We've got a bit of a relationship going in terms of um, sort of athlete coach relationship, um, and now I can start talking to him that a little bit in terms of okay, what well, this is what you're doing. This is what you do better than these guys, and we have a little database where we can look at this is the norm. This is one standard deviation above, one standard deviation below. And we can start looking at okay, well this is one area of your action that, you know, potentially we need to work on. And, you know, we've got some, got some exercises that we can potentially, you know, work on that with. Wow. That, that was, that was a long one. Well, the, the main thing is I won't tell Jason that you're starting to say Z and not Z. That's the first point. Uh, I've, I'm awful recently. I've been saying Adidas recently as well. Oh, oh actually, this is a Northern thing. Don't you say Adidas? Adidas. Do you say Adidas or Adidas? Adidas. Okay, good for you. All right, maybe it's just a scout. <laughs> good, good for you. Good for you. Cool. Right. Well, um, just to kind of bring it back, uh, I'm conscious of time. First off, because I know you've had a busy day and probably need to get to bed. Um, but where can people? Uh, where, do, do you do, do P three have a uh, a site and a kind of keep people up to date with what's going on P3 wise or is it just a kind of Luke story um, Twitter page we should be plugging um, yeah we have a P3 uh, Twitter um, this is bad I should know this 
That's fine, mate. It's fine. I can just link to it in the um, yeah, track it on in the in the description and things. But so people can see what kind of stuff you got going on there. Hopefully, yeah. Um, we've got a web page, but it, it really hasn't been updated for about three years, four years, which is awful. It looks like there's only four people that work in the company, but it's actually twelve or thirteen. Oh wow! We're in the uh, we're in the process of update, yeah. updating it. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, we're a little bit a little bit behind there. I think. <laughs> <laughs> and what's uh, what's your personal Twitter handle? Um, oh, Rob, wait there. It's fine. Mate. It's fine. Um, it is Luke. This is uh, good. This is good because you're not really off. You have to have a little little dig around because you're not always on it because you're busy. I got it. I got it. It's Luke R Story at oh, yes. whatever uh, Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that's fine, mate. That's all good. That's all um, good. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, it's been great. Thank you for having me on the show. You know, I've been happy to uh, to be a filler. You know, because you know you can't you can't <laughs> have the likes of, you can't have kind of the likes of Marco Cardinale and Pete Atkinson and Jeremy Shepherd every week. So, got to get those fillers honestly. in. Got to get those fillers in. <laughs> <laughs> no, to be honest, mate, I, I love the um, I love the case study um, examples that you gave. Okay. I think that was that's probably something that. Uh, I don't know if people are um, because they work in professional environments uh, uh, struggle to to kind of say them kind of things because it might be linked back to a certain player or certain athlete or something. But I really like that. It was uh, that was really good. But um, I'm going to let you go. Okay. No and just just say uh, thanks a lot. And yeah, thanks for your time and, and keep up the good work. No, yeah, appreciate it, Rob. You you're, you're a superstar. Much appreciated. No problem, mate. I'm just going to uh, just, yeah, I'll chat to you. I'll chat to you when we stop recording, but um, thanks for your time, mate. Okay, thanks. Cheers, pal. Thanks for tuning in to episode 116 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Luke. Massive thanks to the guys at Vald Performance for sponsoring the episode today. And don't forget to check them out. Their new product out on Twitter at groinbar. And check out groinbar.com for their hip and groin strength measuring solution. So thanks again for all your support in 2016. There will be no podcast uh, between the the Christmas and New Year. Uh, Obviously, other more important things going on. So look forward to speaking to you in 2017. And I hope you enjoy and have a good Christmas.